0: Or our scripture reading today comes from two passages today, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, and Revelation verse 3, 7, and 8. I will read Isaiah 1, 18 first. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Revelations chapter 13, verse 7 and 8. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, but yet... You have kept my word and you have not denied my name. This is the word of God.
1: And good morning and greetings. Um, thank you, Pastor David, my new friend. Uh, thank you for your kind introduction and thank you my brothers and sisters in Christ um, for having me to visit this wonderful, beautiful church, KCPC. It's such a uh, pleasure and privilege for me to stand here to share my story and God's word. Uh, the title of my message today is "An Open Door, Which No One Can Shut," from Revelation chapter three, verse eight, we just read. And the subtitle is "Worship and Witness of the Church Under Persecution in China Today." The Church of Christ has two basic purposes. What are they? Two W word. Worship and witness. In other words, what's the church? What is the true church? It's the community of worship and witness. So I'm extremely glad and grateful to worship with you today. I'm deeply, deeply blessed. And even more grateful I have this great opportunity to witness God's amazing work in China. To begin with, I must say that my message today is not a Presbyterian standard style three-point expository preaching. It is not focusing on one um, scriptural passage. Rather, it's more like a testimonial preaching. I will share several uh, significant scriptures together with my personal and ecclesial testimonies in mainland China, where I am originally from. I'm very grateful, very, very grateful for my family. You know, every day, the best time for me is the Bible time with my family. We will sing a praise song, we'll read the Bible, we'll memorize a daily verse, and we will pray together. You know, building up our family altar is crucial for both of our family and our faith is crucial. Unfortunately, however, losing the next generation, losing the young people is a universal challenge for the universal church today, no matter in the States or in Korea or in China. So I'm extremely excited and grateful to see so many young people here and I can worship with you together. I want to remind every parent here, including myself, it's not in the school, it's not in the society we start losing our next generation, it is not. We start losing them from our own family. I'll give you a, a positive example. I know a Korean missionary family living and serving in Beijing, the capital of China, for many years. If you met them, you can hardly tell they're actually Korean because they're highly, highly local. You know, they're talking, even they're looking are just like Chinese. And then even send their two sons to the public school in China, which is established based on the official atheist, even anti-Christian ideology. However, their two sons not only went to Tsinghua and Peking University, the best two universities in China, with an excellent academic performance. Not only that, but more importantly, they all keep their strong faith and both attended seminary after college in order to become cross-cultural missionaries. Why? Why didn't this missionary couple, why didn't they lose their children in such a tough, hostile Circumstance, Because they have their family devotional and worship every morning before their two sons go to school and every night after they come back from school. Every single day. Their commitment is stronger than the challenge. So Christians will not only worship publicly in the church, in conference, but maybe more importantly, we also privately worship at our home with our family. We not only witness the good news of Jesus Christ one place to another, but also from one generation to another generation. My family and I came here to the States two years ago in the context of um, intensifying persecution in mainland China. By God's grace, I got my Master of Theology degree, on Christian thought at Golden Conwell Theological Seminary, and I'm so excited and grateful to see so many alumni of Golden Conwell uh, in KCPC's pastoral team. And I will start my uh, PhD program in systematic theology at Wheaton College this fall. It's a new journey. And after my doctoral work, God willing, I will return to mainland China to continue my pastoral ministry there, and hopefully to teach At the underground seminaries there. So basically, this is my present life and future plan, the near future, but I have a drastically different past. My conversion story might be summed up in one Bible verse. Next slide, please. This is Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. We just read. Come now, let us argue it out, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Here, scarlet and crimson is the deepest red color in the ancient world, which stands for the thick sins of God's people. In contrast, uh, the snow and wool is the whitest color, that stands for God's complete cleansing of sins. Now, the red color here has a special overtone, has a special extra-textual double meaning for me personally. For red, as you may know, is also the symbolic color of the Communist Party of China. I was born and raised in a red family of a red country. So I called myself, my old self, a red kid. I used to be a very arrogant atheist and committed communist. When I went to college in Beijing at the age of 17, just like some of your age, I heard the gospel for the first time from my foreign English teacher, who was actually an American missionary. A campus missionary. Through him, I started to go to church led by Korean missionaries. You see, I'm really one of the countless ritual fruits of foreign missionaries in China who have deeply blessed my life. Actually, it's through another Korean missionary now serving in Beijing. She's a wonderful worship leader and my music teacher. Through her, I got the chance to make the connection with Pastor David Moon and his father. Uh, Otherwise, I would not stand here. It's an amazing connection. Uh, But back then, I started to attend church not as a seeker, but as a spoiler. To argue. (laughs) To argue with Christians and ultimately to argue with God. I just want to argue and prove that God does not exist. I just want to argue and prove Christianity as a whole is toxic. As Karl Marx famously said, it's the opium of the people, it's toxic. So I often humiliated Christians and even blasphemed God back then. cannot imagine the past. But in order to win all kinds of arguments, ironically, I began to read and study the Bible carefully, very, very carefully, which eventually led me to Christ in 2006. You know, in a worship and prayer meeting, unexpectedly, suddenly, I saw all of my sins had been cleansed by the precious blood of Christ And this is really the turning point of my entire life. I never, never left the church after I first got in, for God powerfully and mercifully took hold of me and patiently argued it out, argued it all out with me, and utterly transformed my life. Not only myself, my whole original family has been utterly changed and cleansed by God, from a red communist family to a rescued Christian family. This picture was taken when my mom got baptized two years ago, actually here in the States in the Chinese church. Praise the Lord. All our sins as red as scarlet and crimson have been washed out by the precious blood of Christ as white as snow and wool. I came to Christ in 2006, as I mentioned, in college. So after I graduated from college, I became a software engineer. During Sichuan earthquake, a catastrophic uh, major earthquake in southwest of China in 2008, I felt that God was strongly shaking my heart and calling me to serve him and his church full time. You know, it's not an easy decision for a young Chinese Christian to make. It's like no less than an invisible earthquake in my life and in my family. So at that time, therefore, I had no faith to obey God's calling. And then I wrestled with God in painful struggling for two years. And then once in another worship and a prayer gathering, I felt a severe pain, unforgettable pain. In my heart, both spiritually and physically. And that never happened again. It's unforgettable. It's like my heart was held by a powerful hand. But suddenly, through that, I believe it's a supernatural experience. I realized that suddenly. I realized that my whole heart and my whole life does not belong to myself, but only to my Creator and Redeemer. So at that moment in 2010, I said, yes, to the Lord. Just like John Calvin said, my heart, I give the Lord promptly and sincerely. So afterwards, I quitted my job to attend an underground seminary in Beijing where I got my Master of Divinity and then became a house church, underground house church pastor. Since 2010, I have been serving as a pastor of uh, Beijing Zion Church. Um, this is our founding and senior pastor. He came to Christ after the 1989 Tiananmen Square, massacre, when he was a student in Peking University back then. You know, if you know that, that history, I think it's pretty similar to Guangzhou event. Tanks and machine guns. Crush the generation's belief, younger generation's belief, and their dream for their own country, which, however, is amazingly used by God to lead many student leaders to Christ and even to become church leaders, including Pastor Ezra. So Zion was founded in 2007, which started with only two families, less than 20 church members, By the glory and power of God, within just one decade, Zion Church had grown rapidly into one of the largest emerging urban house churches in China with more than 1,500 church members, more than 100 small groups, and uh, 15 multi-site, multilingual services in Mandarin, Korean, and English every week. Because my senior pastor is a Korean-Chinese, so we have a Korean service and English service. And we have more than 20 ministers within one decade. This is our pastoral team. Beautiful picture. But you know what? This picture was taken in 2018 amid a severe persecution. But there's no fear, right? There's no anxious. There's no worry on those beautiful, joyful faces. Since the start, our church has always been a missional church like KCPC. We have sent more than 30 missionaries to the minority people groups in China and to North Korea, to Pakistan, to Tajikistan, even to Mideast countries like Jordan and Israel. As a part of Lausanne Movement, we are promoting the Mission China 2030 Movement, whose vision is to send at least 20,000 Chinese cross-cultural missionaries overseas by the year of 2030. My personal passion is to mobilize more and more Chinese young people, especially college students, to engage in God's global mission. And my prayer is that the student volunteer movement for foreign missions started in Massachusetts, where I am living in, in the late 19th century could happen again, could happen again, even greater in and through China. That's my dream, that's my prayer. This is uh, our sanctuary, which can host 500 people worshiping together. And this space is on the third floor of an office building close to Beijing National Stadium, also well known as the Bird's Nest. So we rent the whole floor as our worship place. You want to make a guess? Do you know what this place used to be? It used to be a nightclub. (laughs) We cleansed and converted this place, this this space from a club to a church. We even had a nice book book, Cafe in our church. Very nice. I miss that. Um, Many people, when they first visited Zion church, especially foreigners, they were amazed and often asked the same question. Is this really a house church? It doesn't like a house church, right? Well, the short answer is, yes, we are a house church. Yes. So, there are two separate church systems in mainland China. One is the government-sanctioned, yet really government-controlled church. We call it the 3 Church. And the other one is the underground, unregistered, illegal, according to the government, house church. Okay, two separate church systems. The difference between the two is their different positions on the relationship of church and state. As one of the unregistered underground house churches, we believe and we insist the only head of the church is Jesus Christ alone, but not any earthly authority, including the Chinese communist government. But we have our communal worship in a public space, you just see, instead of in our private houses like the traditional rural house churches in China. Unfortunately, all you can see in those pictures has been gone now. There's a dramatic reverse. Since President Xi Jinping took power in 2012, the Chinese government has increasingly tightened its control over the entire society, especially religious affairs. According to the World Watch list, an annual Analysis by Open Doors, listing 50 most dangerous countries to follow Jesus. As you can see, a little bit tiny here, China was ranked at number 43 in 2018, three years ago. But it has risen to number 17 this year. So, a stunning leap of 26 spots reflects the fast increasing pressure on Christianity in China. In the past few years, thousands of church crosses had been torn down, burned, church buildings bulldozed, most of which actually are government sanctioned churches. So, they are also under persecution. Christians abused, including pregnant women. Pastors jailed for inciting subversion, which can sentence up to 10 years. Bibles collected and burned publicly. What is worse? What is worse? The Chinese Communist Party has orchestrated a campaign of the synthesization of Christianity in order to synthesize synthesize Christianity into a fully domesticated religion, by rewriting the Bible or retranslating the Bible according to the traditional Chinese culture, socialist co values, and communist ideologies. You know, in many state sanctioned three self churches, the first program of their Sunday service is not prayer, it's not call to worship, it's not scriptural reading. Instead, it's raising the national flag and singing the national anthem and uh, patriotic songs, which we call red songs. This is a war of worship. The closest comparison of synthesization is perhaps the Nazification during 1930s and 1940s. You know, Nazi Germany put its emblem on the church's altar in a local church in China. This is a true story. An official wanted to install the portraits of Mao Zedong and Xi Jinping, the two political leaders, on both sides of the cross in the middle of the sanctuary. And the pastor of that church, I think he's very smart, he's very wise, he said to that official, Are you sure you want to hand the two leaders beside the cross? Do you know there were two thieves hung on both sides of Jesus? Very smart, right? Very wise and very brave. And eventually that official gave up. This is a true story, though it sounds like a joke. It's ridiculous, but it's happening. In short, the recent religious persecution in China has reached the worst level since the Cultural Revolution in the late 1960s. Perhaps even worse in some aspects. You know, for me, having been a communist prior to conversion, I strongly resonate with the Apostle Paul's experience from the persecutor to the persecuted. In March 2018, the government attempted to install 24 facial recognition cameras inside our sanctuary to put the whole congregation on the civilians. You know, today's China's massive civilians network has tens of millions of cameras everywhere. They call it Skynet. Pretty creepy, right? Did you watch the movie Terminator? The second one. SkyNet. Just like George Orwell's novel 1984 said, Big Brother is watching you all the time. After we refused their unreasonable demand, you know, to install the cameras, religious officials and local policemen began to go to press our church members one by one. In 2018, hundreds of our church members were threatened, intimidated, by the police, with their jobs, with their housings, with their children's education, with their elders' insurance, basically everything to prevent them from going to the church. On September 9th, hundreds of policemen raided our church. Our church building was brutally smashed and shut down. All church property was taken away. Our senior pastor is now still under civilians and has been separated with his family in the States for more than two years. As Beijing's biggest house church, China's ban of Zion has been reported by many Western media, and this is Christian Today's. This picture was taken last January, when I went to Washington, D.C., pretty close by, to attend the annual press conference hosted by Open Doors, the organization I just mentioned. You see the sealed door The sealed door in the picture in front of that stage is exactly (laughs) the side door of Zion Church. And on the seal was the date the police shut down the church. My dear brothers and sisters, you know what? My first sermon after the shutdown was from Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 to 8. The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. Jesus' words are absolutely comforting and encouraging. Reminding us, even though the government can take away the key of our church building, but the key of Christ's church is never held in any authority's hands, but only in the supreme authority, Jesus Christ, the King of Kings' hands. He has the key and opens the door of salvation. He opens the door of salvation and mission and the door of worship, which no one is able to shut. Worship. What is worship? Worship is not only we opening the door of our church building, but really and supernaturally, God opening the door of his heavenly kingdom. After the shutdown, with no place to worship, we developed a kind of unique format of worship named walking worship walking worship. Our media team, our church's media team, created an audio record of our Sunday service every week and send it to our church members. All we need then is our smartphones and headsets. And we do walking worship in small groups. So we like pilgrims as we walk on the streets, walk in the parks, and even walk in the wilderness very peacefully. We listen, we pray, we worship. And when we did walking worship at night, we even held electric candles in our hands as a spiritual symbol like the light shining through the darkness. The church history the 2000 year Church history has repeatedly proved that where there is repression, there's revival. Even during intense persecution, our church had still sent four missionaries to the Middle East, where we are trying to establish a mission center there. Moreover, we launched our first overseas church planting in Canada, Victoria, amid severe persecution in 2018. So before we came here to the States, at the beginning of 2019, we actually first went to Canada to visit our brothers and sisters there. And as the youngest ordained pastor, I was ordained in the year 2017. As the youngest one, our church urgently and strategically sent me and my family abroad to further my theological education, but at the same time, to preserve the church's strength in the long run. Without God's miraculous providence and guidance, we would not have come here. You know, after we came here in the States, many people asked me, what's the difference between your pastoral experience in China and here in the States? Well, it's not a simple answer. It's not a simple question to answer, but I'd like to tell you a story, a sad one, a sad story, which is also my biggest culture shock in the States. So hopefully you would find the answer yourself in this story. This was two years ago, on April 21st, 2019, Easter Sunday morning. A horrific series of terrorist suicide bombings in Sri Lanka killed 267 people and injured more than 500. The Explosions took place in three hotels and three churches, two Catholic churches and one Protestant evangelical church. And interestingly, that evangelical church's name is also Zion Church, the same to my church in Beijing. Christians in Sri Lanka were attending Easter Sunday service to worship when the bombings took place inside their sanctuaries, which killed 30 people in that Zion church. More than 20 of them were children. After the tragedy, the church's Sunday school teacher testified that on that day, she asked a bunch of children, maybe dozens of them, how many of you are willing to die for Jesus? And all the children, each and every one, they raised their hands. It was so touching, but also heartbreaking. Because a few minutes later, half of those children were killed in a blast. And when this testimony was shared on social media, what made me even more shocking and sad is that some American netizens, even including Christians, they commented, What kind of Sunday school teacher will ask that kind of terrible question? Stop! No more spiritual and emotional child abuse! Seriously? I think what is even more terrible and tragic than the bombings is that people have lost the basic discernment of black and white good and evil. Who accused the teacher instead of the terrorists? I get it. Due to the political and cultural correction, this is a bad, wrong question that more and more American Sunday school teachers would not ask. I get it but it will be asked in Sri Lanka, in China, in Afghanistan. And more importantly, isn't it the question Jesus asks everyone who wants to follow him? Isn't it? Bear your cross. What does that mean? (laughs) Death. Isn't it? So, In his famous book, The Cost of Discipleship, the German theologian Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him, come and die. Die to your old self. Die to this sinful world. He calls you to die. What is our true worship, brothers and sisters? It's Loving God more than anything, including your lives. That's the true worship. Worship is not just about what is the music you like, but who is the master you live for and you die for. That's the worship. Worship is not just about the songs, but about the sacrifice The sacrifice Jesus made for us first, and then the living sacrifice we are willing to offer with our whole life as a response, a necessary response to our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? Persecution can never destroy the church. Church history can prove that but a compromised gospel in a culture of individualism and consumerism can destroy the church and turn the church's worship into entertainment. That's the challenge facing the Western churches. At the end of 2019, COVID-19 outbroke in China. And in his famous book, "The Rise of Christianity, Rodney Stark, a social uh, sociologist of religion at the University of Washington, points out that, one of the key reasons one of the key reasons for the rise of the christianity is the early christians sacrificial love and care to those abandoned and afflicted victims in the two devastating plagues striking rome in the 2nd and 3rd centuries even though the early christians themselves were victims of the roman empire's severe persecution very similar circumstance to the early church in Rome, we are very grateful to hear, to hear many good testimonies from churches in Wuhan city in China. Take a look at this Christian. This Wuhan Christian was holding a sign that says, mask of love offered by Christians from all over the world. You know, Wuhan Christians had shared tens of thousands of masks like this with gospel handouts on the streets during pandemic. They even shared with some policemen who unexpectedly and thankfully accepted them. And they even shared with their colleagues. This is unimaginable in normal days. Brothers and sisters, what do you see in this picture? I see a true worshiper, not only worshiping with mouth inside the church, but with these out there on the streets, worshiping the Almighty by serving the needy. Let's worship our God, the Almighty, by serving others who is needy. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, verses 10 to 13, there Jesus said to his disciples about the eschatological signs. He says, Nation will rise against the nation, and kingdom against the kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places, famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. And the last line is crucial. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Wow. Amen to that. This will be our opportunity to bear witness. Persecution prior to pestilences, this is exactly what the Chinese Christians have experienced in the past two or three years. Challenges, however, always coexist with chances. When brought before police and officials being questioned seriously about our faith, there's actually no better chance for us to share the good news of Jesus through our personal testimonies to them whom we have little chance to face in the past, right? This is the best chance. No matter amid persecution or pandemic, God is still powerfully, amazingly working. So the Chinese churches are still growing, both offline and online. Especially online, recently, there's a vast revival movement during the pandemic. You know, before the shutdown, our church in Beijing can only host 500 people at most to worship in one service, in one place. But now, we can host tens of thousands of people online, including many unbelievers from all over China, even from the globe. Before the shutdown, our daily in-person morning prayer meeting never had more than 50 people. It's kind of a shame. But after the shutdown and during the pandemic now, we have more than 3,000 people participating in our online prayer meeting every morning at 6 a.m. Moreover, during the past two years, we have launched 60 new church plantings in 20 different cities across the country. Nobody dared to imagine that two years ago. But that's happening. So no matter persecution or pestilences, it cannot stop the worship and the witness of the church. Instead, this will be our opportunity to bear great witness of Jesus Christ and to lead others to worship our Lord. You see, government can shut the door of our church building, but no one, no one, can shut the door of our worship and witness because because the stone-made door of Jesus' tomb had been opened and he is indeed risen. Amen? That's the ultimate reason. The last picture, I know a lot of pictures I have shown you this morning. The last one I want to show you is this one. This was a Chinese wedding feast in last month. It's easy to notice the bride, right, in her beautiful red dress with her beautiful smile. But at the same time, you might be wondering, where is the bridegroom? You know what, at that time, her husband, a young pastoral colleague of mine in Beijing, was in prison. he was suddenly and unjustly detained by the police for religious persecution. And to the surprise of everyone, including the later released groom, his bride and his family, his parents, decided to hold the wedding banquet anyway in his hometown without his presence, without the groom's presence. However, unless I tell you, you would never tell all this from the joyful smiling faces of the bride and the groom's parents next to her, isn't it? What a powerful spiritual symbol here was this special wedding banquet. For in the Bible, our ultimate hope and joy as Christians is to participate in an ultimate wedding banquet of Christ and his church. The church of Christ is the bride of Christ, dressed and ready, waiting for her bridegroom to return. Revelation 19:7 says, Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. So the crucial question is: Are we ready? Is today's church ready for her bridegroom's return? At the end of the book of Revelation and the whole Bible, the lamb who was slain but now is risen, our risen Lord, the bridegroom of the church says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The spirit and the bride say, Come and let the one who hears, we all say, Come, Amen. Let us pray. Jesus Christ, you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the one holding the key of David. You have opened a door that no one can shut. The door of salvation, the door of mission, the door of our lives. You know our works and our little power. Please, Lord, strengthen us to keep your word and not deny your name. No matter facing persecution or pandemic, please help us and guide us, your people, your church, no matter in the States, in Korea, or in China, to unseasonally worship and witness, to be unquenchably faithful and fruitful for your kingdom and for your glory. In your precious name we pray. Amen.